Welcome to the Dunwoody Community Church Podcast. We are so glad you have chosen to listen in to one of our Sunday services, and we hope that you will be blessed by today's message. For more information about Dunwoody Community Church, please visit us at dunwoodychurch.org. That's dunwoodychurch.org. Welcome to another day of church at its worst. We are back to Paul's letter to the first Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, only this time we're actually back to talking to the Corinthians. We took this little detour for a couple weeks as Paul took this little detour, but now he's picking back up where he sort of started all this. You remember he was back in chapter one around verses uh, 10 through 13. He was saying, hey, I've, I've heard there's factions. I've heard there's, there's quarrels and there's issues. And then we got a little sidetracked. So we're in chapter three now where he's picking that back up. So read along with me if you got your Bible. First Corinthians chapter three. We're gonna read the whole chapter. So from verse one all the way to the end. So follow along with me. First Corinthians chapter three. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who, wa- the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are, God's, we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one of you should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, yet still be saved, even though as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. So Paul is coming back to this issue of factions and divisions. And if you remember back in chapter one, around verse 13, he began there by asking these rhetorical questions, all of which point to Christ. Was Paul baptized? You were baptized in the name of Paul? No, of course not. In the name of Christ. Was Paul crucified for you? No, of course not. It's Christ. And he's sort of picking this back up. Now, he, he, he's doing it with kind of, you know, a little gentle shaming here as he begins, because what he says to them is, um, you know, Guys, brothers, sisters, um, this, 
this is really kind of immature. You all are acting really kind of immature. If you've got these quarrels and these jealousies and the, these factions going on in the church, like that, you know, Paul says, you know, when I was there with you, verse two, uh, of course I gave you milk like you were an infant. You were, Paul planted the church. It was all brand new. But, you know, Paul was there for 18 months, we're told, in the city of Corinth, by the, in the book of Acts, tells us that. And then this is between two and four years later that he's writing this letter. So this isn't a newborn church. This church is somewhere between three and a half and five and a half years old. It's been around for a couple years. And Paul's like, ah, you know, really, um, this is just kind of immature on your part that you're doing all these things. You have all these quarrels. Now, we don't know exactly what the quarrels and the factions are, but we're pretty sure they're not theological in nature because the whole rest of this book, I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, I read to you all the chapter headings from the rest of the book. All the rest of the books, tons of theological issues. They're gonna ask about worship. They're gonna ask about prayer. They're gonna ask about marriage. They're gonna ask about giving money and taking money in the service. They're gonna ask about what Christians can eat, what Christians can wear. There's tons of theological questions in this book and Paul will answer them. You can do this, you can't do that. You need to do that, you shouldn't do that. Like, like he will dive into all those theological questions. And when he talks about people saying, you know, oh, I follow Paulus, I follow Paul, neither one of them is in the church at this point in time. Paul planted the church. He was there for 18 months, like we said. But again, he's been gone two to four years. We know that Apollos came after Paul, probably sometime in the next year or so from, from the Bible and source, other sources. And he stayed for a while. We don't know. But again, it's probably like three to six months or something along that line. And then he too has left. This isn't like Apollos and Paul are the two leaders of the two factions and the church has split over it and everybody's gathering on one or the other. This seems to be more of, of issues of personality or, or issues of style that, that people are saying, you know, oh, I like Apollos and, or someone else is saying, I like Paul. You know, Paul's the founding pastor. He started the church, but then Apollos is kind of like the next pastor. He's the guy who came in after Paul and he taught them. And we know from the scriptures that they, had, they were very different men. You know, Apollos, we're told, is from the city of Alexandria. Now, Alexandria is, it's like the Paris of the ancient world. It's a, it's a cultural center. It's a huge center of learning as well. You may have heard of the library at Alexandria, that when that burned, it, it was just a huge blow to Western civilization. They had copies of everything there. We, we know from references that they had copies of books that we don't have anymore. We just have references to them. It was a huge center of culture, huge center of learning. Apollos is from this great metropolitan city. He's from New York or LA or Paris or London or something, you know, and Paul is Paul of Tarsus. And if you've never heard of Tarsus anywhere else, that's because it was not a major metropolitan city. Now, Paul's not from a huge deal, and Apollos is. And we're told as well that Apollos was a skilled orator, that he had studied oratory, the, the way the Greco-Roman world liked to argue things. Apollos, we're told, was a great speaker. And believe it or not, the, the stories in the scripture say that Paul was not a very good speaker. Like he just didn't have charisma. He wasn't a great orator, which is kind of surprising given all the churches he started. But there's actually a place in the Bible where people are talking about Paul and they're like, wow, his letters, I mean, they're so powerful, they're so forceful. And, and then you meet the guy in person and it's kind of like, him, that's it, he wrote all that? Like in person, Paul wasn't all that impressive. And in person, 
Apollos was very impressive. And it seems like the church, it's having issues and quarrels about style, about personality. Oh, you know, some people like Paul's style and Paul's personality, the way Paul did things. And other people are like, oh no, we really like Apollos and his style. And they're forming factions over it. They're quarreling. Paul says you have jealousy and you have quarrels. And so Paul's response to them here at the beginning, and he will get stronger as we'll see, but his response at the beginning is just, guys, that, that, why are you worried about that? You know, he goes on to say, look, who's Apollos and who's Paul? We're, we're just servants. You're, you're looking at the wrong thing. I love what he says in verse six. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God's been making it grow. Now, when we translate that has been making it grow, we're trying to get across in English something that I've talked to you about before. The language Paul's writing in, it's called Koine Greek. It is not nearly as interested in times and dates as we are. You know, that's a, that's a big deal to us in our world, right? Did it happen yesterday? Did it happen the day before yesterday? Was it Sunday? Was it a week ago or two weeks ago? We're very, in our sort of modern, mechanistic, scientific world, we're very concerned with getting all those time sequences correct. That's just not nearly as big a deal for them. What they really cared about was completeness. Is it finished? Is it done? Is it still going on? Did it just happen? Did it take a while? And so Paul writes here, I planted. And he writes it in the sense of that just happened. It's a one-off. It's done. Now, remember, he was there for 18 months. I mean, it's not like it didn't take a long time, but he writes it as if like, you know, I just did that. I planted. That's it. Same thing for Apollos. He was there for months as well, we think. Apollos watered it. Sure, that just happened. But God has been making it grow. That's that idea of Paul writes of that this has continuity. It's continuous. It, it keeps going on in time. You know, Paul's saying to them, look, God was at work in Corinth before I got there. Then I came and I did my part and God was at work. And then God was at work when I left. And God was at work when Apollos came. And God was at work when Apollos left. It, it, you're focusing on the wrong thing. You're focusing on the guy who guys showed up, did his job and left, showed up, did his job and left. Focus on the God who has been at work the whole time. That's Paul's exhortation to him. That's his encouragement. You, we, we should be focusing on God. Sure, I planted. Sure, Apollos watered. Absolutely. All good things. But that all happened because of God. That's how Paul begins. He's he sort of, you know, a guy says it's kind of immature. I don't like seeing these factions. You're focusing on the wrong thing. You shouldn't be focusing on personalities and style or anything like that. You should be looking at God and what God does. Now, if the sermon ended right there, right? If that was the end of the chapter, chapter three ends in verse nine, and then we go on to chapter four, that'd be a lovely sermon. Like that, oh, that, yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, let's not get caught up in these other issues. Let's not get caught up in style. Let's not get caught up in personality. You're right, Jesus. Let's all just focus on Jesus. That is a great little encouraging sermon. But obviously, as you know, he doesn't stop there. He's gonna go on. The next section, so that's the longest section from one through nine. Again, it's kind of an exhortation, right? You know, I mean, he definitely, there's a little bit there, like, this is, guys, this is really kind of immature. You should be beyond this by now. But it's an, it's an exhortation, it's an encouragement. Then in 10 through 15, it's a shorter section, but it's got more punch. And the last one is just two verses, 16 and 17. But as we'll see, it's the hardest one of all. Paul goes on 
to again use himself and Apollos as an example for them. In verse 10, he says, by the grace God's given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. So we've got this, this idea, okay, we got Paul and Apollos, only this time, he's sort of like imagining his life as if he were building a building, right? What did I do when I came and started the church? Let's imagine that as building a building. So I laid the foundation, right? That, that God has enabled me to do this, and, and he did. I mean, we've said, you know, at this point in history, probably over half the churches in the world were planted by Paul. Like, this is what he does. I came in and laid the foundations. And then, then imagine that Apollos came in and he started putting up walls. He started building it and giving it form. And, you know, we're following along like that and like, oh yeah, but then he says this at the end of verse 10, but each one should build with care. You see, Paul says it's not just me and it's not just Apollos, it's you too. You're building as well. And so he starts to give some warnings now. He says in verse 11, no one can lay any foundation other than Jesus. You know, there are lots of things you can build your life on. You can build your life on yourself, you can build your life on family, you can build it on a career, on success, on prestige, on esteem. There's tons of things you can build your life on. In this example of Paul using you know, a building, being a builder, as sort of a metaphor for how he spends his life. Lots of foundations you can lay, Paul says, but none of them are worth anything but Christ. And he goes on to explain, hey, verse 12, you can build on that foundation with different materials. Like you can put up good stuff, gold, silver, costly stones, but you can also throw up wood, hay, straw. You know, it's like the, remember the old three little pigs fable, right? The pig that builds with brick, his, his house lasts. The pig that builds with straw, uh-uh, gone. That's kind of like Paul says, you know, you, you can do the same thing. Sure, you can build a building out of good stuff that'll last, or you can build a building out of stuff that won't last because, and now he really gets into his warning, there's a day coming, Paul says, when everyone's work is going to be tested with fire. If you imagine your life, like what Paul's doing, as you're building a building, whatever it is you're doing in life, whatever you're committing yourself to, it's as if you're building a building. And Paul says the day is coming for every single person on this planet when they're going to be tested. And all Christians, all your work is going to go through the fire. And whatever makes it out the other side, you will be rewarded for that, Paul says. And whatever doesn't, you won't. Now, notice, he's very clear to say in verse 15, this is not about salvation. This is about rewards. He had applied that to himself back in verse eight. The one who plants, the one who waters, they have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. He's talked about himself and Apollos. We're gonna be rewarded for our labor. Now he's saying in this next section, you, Corinthians, and remember, and he said at the beginning, he's talking to all Christians everywhere. You, brother, sister in the faith, you will be rewarded for doing the things God has told you to do, for living your life the way God has instructed you, for building your life upon Jesus. He says, you know, it's possible to be saved and have no rewards. It's possible to go, to keep up Paul's metaphor, naked into Jesus' kingdom. We're not talking about your salvation. You don't, you don't have to work for that. That's done. We're talking about rewards. Now, okay, I confess, I don't know what that means. And I've never seen a good explanation for it. Because kind of on one hand, you're in Jesus' kingdom. You're in Jesus' presence. What other reward do you want? What else is there? I don't know. But the scriptures are very, very clear that there is a lot more. 
the scriptures are very clear that what you do in this life affects what happens in the next. I don't know how. It gives us some different images like this, right? The, the house and the flames. Jesus will tell parables where people do well and, and Jesus or the master in the parable will say, well done, I'm going to put you in charge of many cities. Right? There, there's a picture in heaven in Revelation where uh, the, 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 the elders are taking crowns, which is another word that often gets used for rewards in heaven. They're taking crowns and laying them at Jesus' feet. There, there are these image images of rewards in Jesus' kingdom. But there's no real explanation of what it looks like. But the scriptures insist that it's true. That what you do here in this world, it matters to what happens to you in the next. And brothers and sisters, this is a stern warning. You are absolutely going into Jesus' kingdom if you have trusted him. You are absolutely saved. You are going into heaven. When Jesus' kingdom comes back here to earth, you will be part of it. You will be in his presence. There's no question. That's not us. That's him. But how you live your life matters to him. And he will reward you for it. Now, on the one hand, I find that very comforting to think that all the good things you ever do will be rewarded. All the times you chose to do it is right, and no one knew it. He knew it, and he will reward you. Every time, you know, when he talks about building with gold and silver and precious stones, I assume that means obedience. That means doing what he says, living the way he has said to live. I'm building my life on him as a foundation, and I'm doing what he says. And, and don't misunderstand me. I don't think Paul's saying you got to go into ministry. He's not saying you got to be a, a pastor or a missionary or anything. The scripture never says that. It never says you have to be in any sort of ministry in particular. If, it's, if you're a Christian, you can be a, a butcher, a baker, or a candlestick maker. The scriptures just say, be a good butcher. Be an honorable baker. Right? Be, be a hard-working, diligent candle maker. If you make candles, make them as if you were presenting them to God himself. Make them as if God were your boss. Make them as if God were your customer. That, that I think, is building with gold and silver and the good stuff. The things that will last. Obedience. Following Jesus. That will last. On the one hand, that's really comforting to know that he'll reward all that. But on another hand, it's kind of sober. At least it should be. To know that, yes, how you live now, here and now, it matters. You will be rewarded for what is good. And everything you've done that's not, it's going to burn up and be gone. Now, I want you to imagine that I came to you and, you know, pulled you aside and said, okay, shh, don't, don't tell anybody this, but um, occasionally I get messages from the future. So, shh, you know, they'll think I'm crazy, but, but it's true, I do. Um, and so I've gotten a message that tomorrow afternoon, while your family's gone, your house is going to burn down. The whole house is going to burn down. The only part of your house that's going to be left standing is your garage. Your garage is going to be fine, like not even smoke damage. But everything else in your house is going to burn. Okay? Now, if you knew that, what would you go home and do? Would you go home and say, oh, well, wow, this is really nice. Yep, one day it's all going to burn, but I'll enjoy it now, you know, and, th and that. Or would you move it to your garage? Aha, uh -huh, I would be moving things frantically to my garage. Okay, maybe I don't have them now that evening, but I will have them tomorrow and ever on. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, I have a message for you from the future. One day, your house will burn down, all of it. It will all burn. The only thing that's going to survive are the things that you built on Christ. 
The only thing that's going to survive are the times when you were being obedient, when you were following him, when you were doing what he said. That you will somehow take with you into the next world. So what are you going to do between now and that day? Because if you're not going to do anything, then it's kind of like saying, yep, my house is going to burn down tomorrow. I could save it by moving it, but I'm not going to bother. Like This is comforting, and it's also sobering, and frankly, it gets worse. So verse 16 and 17, Paul takes this sort of next step in my mind in being uncomfortable. If, if he'd stopped it here, I'd think, wow, um, okay, yeah, this is, we've gone from just um, exhortation to flat out warning, um, but Paul is going to step it up even more. Up until now, all of the pronouns have been singular. When Paul says, you know, each one of you, no one, anyone, those are all singular pronouns. He's speaking to us as individuals. He's speaking to me as Jeff. He's speaking to you as you. As an individual, you need to live your life this way. But in these next couple verses, he switches over and he starts speaking in plurals. When he said, don't you know, that's you, the church, you plural, that you plural, our God's temple. And then in verse 17, you together are God's temple. All those are plural. He's not talking to us as individuals anymore. He's talking to us as Christians, as the church. And he tells us that we are a temple for the Holy Spirit. So he's not saying what we talked about last week, that I have the Holy Spirit and you have the Holy Spirit. Although that's absolutely still true. Right? I have the Holy Spirit and you have the Holy Spirit. He's saying that when we gather together, that then the Holy Spirit is there again. He's there in another dimension. Right now, I'm recording this, so you're watching it. So I have the Holy Spirit in me as a follower of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. And that's good. As we said last week, the Holy Spirit can instruct us. We can know the mind of Christ, all these good things. But when we gather this Sunday together, when a bunch of us come together in the sanctuary to worship, to praise, to listen, to pray, the Holy Spirit is there among us, like Paul says. You are God's temple. The Spirit dwells in your midst. He not only dwells inside each of us, which he does, he also dwells in between us and among us. This is one of the reasons why we implore you, if you can, to come back to church, to come worship with us. Yes, you can, you're hearing the exact same sermon watching this as you'll hear if you come on Sunday, and you can sing along to the exact same songs that you heard on this recording. The band will play those exact same songs on Sunday. But something is missing. You're missing the Holy Spirit in our midst, the Holy Spirit of us all together. Paul says, we together, as a body, we are the Holy Spirit. And then he says this in verse 17, if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy them. Now that word destroy, it doesn't mean to knock over. It's not like blowing something up, you know, or, or Godzilla comes in and flattens the building. It's the word for corruption, for decay, for rot, for, for spoiling and going bad. Paul says, if, if anyone is rotting the church from inside, and I think he's, he's talking about these, these divisions, the, these factions and quarrelings, that if anybody is doing anything that rots out the church, that, that corrupts it, that causes decay, oh, watch out, because God's going to do the same thing back to you. Like, the church is Jesus' bride. 
And he is not going to let anyone harm her like that. He will take action. Now, we've gone at the beginning of this, the way I read it, from an exhortation to a pretty stern warning. Okay, now we are into what is called in linguistics a threat. If you do that, here is how I will respond. God says in no uncertain terms, if you cause harm to my bride, and again, he's not even talking about like, you know, the overt outside come and smack it down harm. He's talking about the rotting, the the corruption decaying from within. God's like, yeah, I'm going to do that right back to you. You know, the Lord is not going to let people do these things to his bride, but from the last section, it does look like he'll let you waste your life. You know, there's nothing in 10 through 15 where God says, you know, if you're building poorly, I'm gonna come and knock it down so you know. Or if you're wasting your life, I'm gonna come and do these things. It appears that, yep, even as a Christian, even though Jesus has died for you, if you wanna waste your life so that you go into heaven with nothing, naked, as if you just, you know, your house caught fire and you ran out in your underwear and that was it, God will let you do that, but God will not let you harm his church. And seriously, uh, who would? I mean, gentlemen, do you know anyone, any guy who loves his wife, if he found out someone was harming her, someone was trying to rot her from the inside, someone was spreading dissension and rumors and doing her harm, do you know any guy who loves his wife would be like, oh yeah, that's a shame. Oh, she'll be fine. It'll be okay. No way. Absolutely not. And God's not going to put up with it either. If you are doing harm, This is, you know, Paul is, again, he's ramping it up here. He's gone from immaturity to, hey, this matters. You need to pay attention to, oh, you had better not do this. If you are causing harm to Jesus' bride, he's not going to sit on his hands. He'll let you ruin your own life. He'll let you waste it. He will not let you waste his church. He is absolutely going to protect her. It is a threat that we not cause harm to Jesus' church. He will not sit by. And so then these last couple verses, Paul tells us what the answer is. And the answer is exactly what you expect it would be. He says, don't deceive yourselves. Don't fool yourselves. And he talks about the world's wisdom. And we've talked about how when he says wisdom, he's using it in the Greek sense of how you view the world, your your worldview, your philosophy, the the things that you think are important, how, how you order things. He's like, don't listen to the world. Don't arrange your life around the things the world says you should do because they're a total waste of time. Arrange your life around what? Around God's wisdom, God's way of looking at the world. Don't listen to the world when it tells you you don't have enough, you have to get more, you have to be selfish. If nobody looks out for yourself, then you're gonna be in trouble. You have to get even. Don't listen to that, Paul says. None of that comes from God. What does God say? Everything is yours. You have everything you need. That is taught over and over again in the scriptures. Listen to this. All things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter the apostle, or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. You are of Christ and Christ is of God. God has a totally different way of viewing things. And God's way of viewing it is you have what you need. I will supply everything you need. Jesus 
I mean, we're right back to where we started at the beginning of this. You got to focus on Jesus. Did you notice in each of these sections, the answer is Jesus. Like, this is kind of immature. You shouldn't be like having these factions and quarrels and on. The answer is focus on Christ. Don't focus on the people and the personalities. Focus on Christ. Hey, second section, this is significant. It's important. You, 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 this matters, right? What do we do? We live our lives based on Jesus. We, we build our lives on Jesus. We do what Jesus says. Now this third section, do not cause harm to God's church. Do not cause harm to God's people and God's kingdom. Focus on Jesus. You have everything you need. You don't need to be out there trying to get any of this other stuff, trying to do these other things. You don't got to protect anything. You, gotta, you don't got to keep anything. You have Christ. It is a warning. And this passage brings up a couple tough questions. And I'm sure you've thought of them, and I'm going to ask them to you anyway, because they're significant. Are you doing anything that would harm God's bride? Are you doing anything at all that would cause trouble for the church, for Jesus' kingdom? I don't just mean for our church, Dunwoody Community Church, although I certainly mean that, but I mean the church, the church big C, the, the church universal in the world. Are you doing anything that would harm God's bride? Is there anything you are doing, anything that you're hanging on to tightly and you're convinced you're right and it has to be this way, but you are causing dissension. You're causing jealousy and rivalry. You are rotting out the church. Are you doing anything in your life where people will look at you as a follower of Christ and it will reflect badly on him? He will look bad because of you. Brothers and sisters, if you are, can I implore you to stop because God will not hold you guiltless for that. There will be issues. If you are doing that to the church, he will come after you. He will protect his bride. Again, we are not talking about your salvation. That is done. But we are certainly talking about your discipline and chastisement. If you are doing anything that brings shame, disgrace, that, that causes corruption and decay in the body of Christ, please stop. And secondly, are you doing anything that builds up the body of Christ? You know, Paul's analogy of, of, I'm a builder, I laid a foundation. Apollos is a builder. He, he came and put walls up. Are, are, are you doing anything that builds up the body of Christ? Because we're all, we've all got the same 24 hours in the day. How are you spending them? What are you doing? We keep talking about discipleship, you know, evangelism, bringing people to Christ, training, getting people to, to know more and more about Christ. Are you doing any of it? Because you need to be. That's the test at the end. That, that's the quiz at the end of the class. That, that's the question that's going to be asked. We're all, all of our lives are going to be tested with fire. And only the things you did for Jesus, those are the only things that are going to come through. But they will come through. Somehow, and I don't understand it, somehow you are going to take that into eternity with you. You're going to take that into heaven. It matters how you are living now. It matters in the negative sense of you do not want to be harming Christ's bride. He will come after you for that. And it matters in the positive sense of all those good things you do, you take them with you into eternity. All that gold and silver and stones, all those things that cost you to build up the kingdom of God, it all comes with you into Jesus' kingdom. I don't know how, I just know it says it over and over again. Those two questions, are you doing anything that would harm the bride of Christ? Stop 
immediately. Are you doing anything that, that benefits her, that, that builds her up, that is good for her? If not, start. Start praying for your non-Christian friends. Start looking for opportunities to speak. I mean, we talk about stuff like this all the time. Start doing it. Start building up these treasures in heaven. So I'm gonna pray for us uh, that, that God's spirit would impress that upon us this week, that, that he would show us if there's anything we're doing that causes harm in the body of Christ, uh, that he would show us if there's anything we're doing that is good in the body of Christ, anything he wants to commend to us, things that will last when that final day comes, when we stand before him and our works are tested by fire. So pray with me. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Thank you for your kindness. Thank you that this is not about our salvation, that, that though this is stern, that though, though that there is a threat in here, this, this has nothing to do with whether you love us. In fact, it, it is threatening because you love us. We are your bride and you love us tremendously and you do not, absolutely do not want to see us harmed by others in the body. So Jesus, I pray for us, I pray for me, I pray for my brothers and sisters, everyone listening to me. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us if there is anything we are doing, any way that we are causing harm, that we are causing dissension, that we are causing corruption or decay in the body of Christ. And Holy Spirit, too, I pray that you would tell us if there are things we should be doing to build up the body of Christ, if there are things we should be doing so that we will have these rewards on that last day. That we will have this gold, this silver, these precious stones that we have invested in your kingdom and that you and your graciousness give back to us in the end. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to us today. Speak to us this week. Show us these things. We need you to do exactly what we talked about last week, to instruct us, to, to let us have the mind of Christ, to see things we couldn't see otherwise and understand things we couldn't understand. Spirit, Holy Spirit, please speak to us. We ask this in, in your name, Lord Jesus. We love you and we're yours. Amen.